2: She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes.
1: If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray Family, through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit.
2: This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today?
1: I'm doing really well, Tim. I'm feeling uh, really good because uh, we have my personal hero on the show today, and that's exciting.
2: That's right. It's uh, it's Sarah Turney. Of course, Sarah Turney's sister, Alyssa Turney, went missing from Phoenix, Arizona in 2001. Her father, Michael Turney, is heavily suspected. I mean, that's about as nice as I can put it, you know, without, without just saying it. It's really obvious uh, what happened in the case. And Sarah, who has become our friend uh, from meeting her at some uh, conferences and things like that over over the past year or two, she fights for her sister's disappearance
1: like I've never seen. Yeah, she is the biggest advocate out there for not only her sister, but as we find out during this interview, she is also using that power, that influence to help other people uh, in, in similar situations, which is uh, you know, about the most productive thing you can do given the, the circumstances.
2: And Sarah has started her own podcast as well as her own blog. Check out justiceforalyssa.com. And please follow her in the show notes on social media. That's down there in the, uh, in the links. But check out her podcast, too, Voices for Justice. She is doing her own deep dive on her sister's disappearance as, as her sister. I mean, it's, it's absolutely remarkable.
1: And it does come at a cost for her. Her relationship with her family is suffering because of what she's doing for Alyssa. But she feels so strongly about that. And she feels so strongly about her father, which is remarkable that she has come to terms with this, is the most likely uh, culprit here. And and that has put a strain on everything in her life. But she keeps doing it. And make sure you go ahead and uh, order one of those t-shirts because they, uh, they have uh, a great uh, feel to them and it's for a good cause. Justice for Alyssa t-shirt
2: yeah so check that out okay everybody I hope you enjoyed the chat with Sarah Turney make sure to check out her podcast and follow her on social media thanks a lot for listening welcome to the Missing More Murray podcast Sarah Turney Sarah how are you today
0: I'm good thank you how are you
1: yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to join us. Uh, we know how busy you are. Can you uh, give us uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a background as to what's been going on lately?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a lot Um, right now. The biggest focus, of course, is my new podcast about Alyssa Voices for Justice, and um, it's a lot of research and re-listening to my interviews, and of course, you know, editing them and learning how to podcast, which is also you know a nice journey to um, to go along the way. But it's a lot right now. I mean, I'm so deep in the story like I've never been before, and I'm learning new stuff all the time. Um, So I feel like I'm in a completely different place than even a year ago.
1: Yeah, and I guess I might have uh, jumped ahead a little bit too much right out of the gate, but I got excited, um, as I tend to do. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure a lot of the listeners know who your sister is, but can you do a, uh, a an update on on uh you know the case and your and your father and just a little bit of background on that? For anyone yeah, who doesn't course. know, for anyone who doesn't know.
0: Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, um, my sister is a list attorney. She went missing when she was 17 um, in May of 2001 from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, And it's a very long, complicated story, as you guys know. But um, essentially, after a very long time, the police decided that... um, our father was the only person of interest in her case, and um, they told me that unfortunately they will not prosecute without a body. They recommended for me to get media exposure, so that's really where I'm at. And um, we kind of know who did it, um, you know, according to the police and my personal beliefs. And now I'm just trying to get her some justice.
2: Well, the podcast is amazing, Sarah, and uh, I, I'm blown away listening to it. Um, you've you've done a, a like a like a narrative. Uh, objective look at this it seems it's it's almost startling when you say something that puts you the host into the story it's almost like like I I remember oh yeah I forgot that this is actually Sarah you know the host's sister that she's talking about yeah it's actually that good like it's like the podcast is that good journalistically that it works without even if you weren't her sister
0: oh my goodness wow that is um such an amazing compliment thank you uh yeah i mean i'm trying to make it as objective as possible um but of course yeah i'm a part of the story and there are things that i remember and i try to put that in there as well um but really the bulk of the information is coming from you know this huge stack i have of like three thousand documents in addition to interviewing people i haven't talked to since i was a kid um so i'm fortunate to have this wealth of information you know in addition to hundreds of hours of you know home videos there's just so much information that hasn't been released that i'm I'm blessed um yeah but yeah of course there's things i remember and i try to insert
2: so you've you've got the these documents, these home videos. Where where did these materials come from?
0: Yeah. So I mean, they are just literally my home videos from growing up. So um, the police at one point did have all of these materials, and they released them to me. So I'm just trying to get through them, but there's so many. Um, I honestly haven't counted how many, but I'm almost through up until when Alyssa disappeared. Um, so I'm getting there.
2: And but but you also have like uh, transcripts of phone calls. Where, where did that come from?
0: Yeah, so that actually all comes from the police. This is public record. Um, it, it's insane how much they have. Everything I'm presenting on the podcast, the police know about.
1: And you, you just said that they won't prosecute without a body. Is that something that is absolutely written in stone? And is that your goal with the podcast to get your father, Michael, to disclose where he put, uh, put the body?
0: Um, So no, I don't think that's set in stone at all. I mean, in comparison to other no body cases tried in Arizona, we have more evidence than some of them. So I don't think that's set in stone at all. And and that's what I'm working towards. It's not necessarily to get my father to confess or tell us where the body is, because honestly, I don't think he ever will. Um, He's just not. I don't think he's that type of person to give us that type of peace. But the goal is definitely for the state to take this case, you know, to look at it and see what the police saw, you know, five years ago, to see what the whole world sees and just give us a fair shot at a trial. But yeah, I absolutely hope that that's what it goes towards.
1: But do you think that your father is the type of person who likes knowing that, another party knows that he's getting away with something
0: absolutely yeah i mean when i spoke with him he he taunts me i haven't released this call yet it's never been released um but you know when it comes to the time because the the podcast is in chronological order so when we get to 2017 i'm releasing the call and he absolutely taunts me he says you know be there at the deathbed and i'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear and then he tells me that he'll confess to everything if the state agrees to give him lethal injection within 10 days
1: yeah Okay. So how does, how does he get to that point? To um, That would mean that he would have to turn himself in, right? Or he would have to be arrested uh, with evidence that supports a case against him.
0: Yeah, it, that's so funny, Lance. Like, you, you're thinking just like me, but that, um,
1: yes, oh, oh, like, when that. he don't, said, don't, that, put, don't put me up there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, when he said, you know, when he offered to confess with it within 10 days of lethal injection or whatever, I said, okay, great. Like, how do we make this happen? And he gets, like, upset, of course. He's like, really, really? And I'm like, absolutely. Like, can we go down right now? Um, I don't think I was that cool of saying it, but, but yeah, I mean, we need a We need a confession or we need this case to be presented for prosecution and accepted. That's really where it's at. Um, The the whole plan was to present it years ago. So why it's not already in trial in prosecution is beyond me. I don't know.
1: Not to get too hung up on this, but knowing what we know of your father through all of the media outlets that you've utilized, how how, he should know the legal system, he should know that that is so obviously a taunt to you because the only reason he would be in the position where legally he would be given the option to have a lethal injection is if he confessed. So what is he possibly confessing? You know, like I'm just I guess I'm nitpicking and splitting hairs on the on the taunt. Like I'll I'll confess everything if they agree to give me lethal injection. Well, they're not going to agree to give you lethal injection before you confess anything. It just, it's just obviously a taunt. I don't know. It just frustrates me that that's uh, that's what you deal with
0: yeah no you're exactly right i mean he sets it up for failure it, it's the same thing he did with his um official interview with the police he says yeah I'll come in and give an official interview, but we're going to do it live on TV on CNN with Canadian operators. I'm going to polygraph my whole family. I'm going to polygraph the judge in the case for my bombs. I'm going to polygraph John Walsh from the national center for missing and exploited children. Like it, it's just insane. Let,
2: let's take this further back, um, Sarah and explain um, how, how uh, your sister went missing and how uh, you find yourself in the situation you're in now. So, you are half sisters with Alyssa and you you guys share a mom. And so uh, please stop me if I'm incorrect or inaccurate or, or anything. But um, so you you were sort of the Brady Bunch there for a little while. Right. Living together in the early 90s.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's what um, episode two of the podcast is titled is The Brady Bench. Um, we were. I mean, it seemed so promising. Um, my father had three boys and married my mother who had Alyssa and our brother, John, and then they had me together. Um, so I think, you know, the, the idea hopefully of the family was never for it to end up this way. Um, but at, at one point, it looked really promising for our family. And it it was really sad to to go through that story and kind of uh tell the demise of my own family
2: yeah i bet uh it must be it's obviously incredibly personal to you um but you're so your mom ended up uh passing away in 1993 i believe of uh cancer
0: yeah and you know of course there's um suspicions around that now um while researching everything i found out that um my father never quit his job three weeks before our mother died, like he had said. Um, or he was never fired, I'm sorry. Um, he always said that he was fired three weeks before our mother died. But in fact, he quit um, and knowingly gave up the health insurance and the life insurance at um, the end of the month. But conveniently, our mother died um, the exact day that her life insurance policy was, was due to lapse.
2: So what would have been the consequences if your mom had died the next day?
0: Yeah, if she died the next day, um, my father would not have gotten the life insurance settlement, which I don't know how much it was, but enough to take seven kids to Disneyland and buy a new vehicle and enough to live without a job for quite some time.
2: So is it, in your opinion, does, is there evidence that suggests that he might have accelerated your mom's death?
0: Yes. I mean, it's hard to say because it's all family members telling me what happened while my mother was dying. And although it's confirmed from different sources, it's hard to prove because my mother didn't have an autopsy done, which is also extremely strange just given my father and the fact that he had planned to sue the tobacco company. Um, so he gets no autopsy done. We have no hardcore evidence. But according to my aunts, um, my father was underdosing and overdosing my uh, mother with morphine. So that it would seem like she was possibly in more pain than she was, so that he could give her more morphine. Um, and the day that she died, my um my aunt and my grandmother stepped out for a cigarette, and they came back in, and my mother was begging them to call nine one one. Um, my my father had just given her morphine, and yeah, I mean she she didn't go peacefully. She. No, she was begging the whole way, wanting people to call 911 to save her. Um, So I think it's extremely suspicious.
1: At what point did the hospital... Um, approve of your father uh, administering morphine to your mother?
0: That's a great question. I, I think it was just a few weeks prior to that. Um, I mean, it got to the point where they were absolutely certain that she was not going to beat the cancer. She was, she was definitely passing away. Um, and they they sent her home and um, gave him liquid morphine to administer. It wasn't an IV drip. It was nothing. I think that would require a nurse. Um, but I, I imagine right from the point she got home,
1: I I find it pretty uh, remarkable that. A hospital can simply give someone a drug to administer that has been known to accelerate. And I mean, that's what they give patients in order to accelerate the death process.
0: Oh, see, and I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be, but that's that's a great point.
1: Yeah. So they, they someone trusted him to to not uh, use that. I'm just wondering how that conversation went down. Where they like, here you go, Mr. Attorney. If her pain gets too bad. Uh, give her a couple of drops of morphine or was he uh, approaching them and saying, I don't know what to do if her pain gets so bad. Should I, yeah, maybe I should be giving her morphine. It'd be interesting to find out how that right. conversation went so, down.
2: So there was no hospice nurse doing that? No. Right. No, uh, there
0: was no hospice nurse. Um, it's my understanding that they were on some type of schedule because my aunt alluded to the fact that my father was breaking from the directions on the bottle.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And so that, must have taken quite a toll on your family and you, the death of your mother.
0: Yeah. um, You know, I always thought that that was the big moment where our father broke. Um, And and that's what every family member would tell you. But I I think it I think it's a combination of things. But, um, yeah, absolutely. It changed our family forever. There was no one to watch. Alyssa and my brother John anymore. Um, You know, unfortunately, we were all left in the hands of our father, which changed our lives forever.
1: What was the uh, funeral like for your mother? Did a lot of people uh, show up? And what was your father like with those relatives and friends?
0: Sure. Um, So, yeah, of course, it's always it's always strange, right, in in this story. Um, So while my mother was dying, um, there's a lot of reports of him spending a ton of money. And when people would ask him where he's getting this money, you know, you just quit your job or got fired or whatever he was telling people at that time. Um, He said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to get this life insurance policy. Um, So despite him spending so much money, when the funeral came around, he told my mother's family that he didn't have any money for a funeral or to bury the body. So there was a small ceremony held. Um, We were living in California at the time, and there was just a a tiny ceremony. And from what I can see from pictures and videos, um, no, it was just intimate family and then my mother's family took our mother's body to uh to kansas and um Alyssa and i never saw her burial site i've never seen it to this day
1: oh wow you've never seen your mother's burial site in kansas
0: no our father never took us and um it's definitely something i want to do as an adult but yeah. i always thought that was kind of strange that we we never took that trip
2: was please correct me if i'm wrong but uh in listening to your podcast it sounded like your your father, Michael, uh, may have sexually abused some of your aunts.
0: Yeah. Um, so while our mother was dying, like I said, um, my mother's sister and mother came out um, to take care of her. And during that time, um, my aunt reports that our father raped her.
1: How old was your aunt?
0: Oh goodness, um, she was younger than my mom, so I would have to say maybe thirty. So I mean, over eighteen.
2: Wow, and um, and so uh, how many of of your aunts do you, is that suspected with?
0: So yeah, there's um, I'm trying to think of, of you know aunts specifically, but, um, geez, a few. Uh, so yeah. it was um, in the past when he was with his first wife, um, he sexually assaulted her younger sister. He handcuffed her to a bed and, and assaulted her and claimed to be sleepwalking. And then um, he had a sexual relationship with his brother's wife. But I believe that was consensual.
1: So among uh, the many issues of your father, he is probably a I mean, he's most likely a sexual predator as well.
0: Yeah, he displays a very clear pattern of behavior um, of assaulting women, particularly young women and women in the family.
1: And uh,
2: do you know what age or what age do you believe uh, sexual abuse of Alyssa began?
0: Yeah. So while um, or before my mother was diagnosed with cancer, she actually took Alyssa um, and me to be checked for sexual abuse. And they found uh, scarring in Alyssa's vagina. So we think as early as four, maybe three and a half. It was very, very soon after they all moved in together.
1: And this is something that you you never experienced with your father. That's correct.
0: Correct. I mean, if I did, I have no memories of it. Um, yeah. I get approached all the time about like hypnotic therapy which I would definitely love to explore. But yeah, I mean, as, as far as I can recall, absolutely not. Um, but Alyssa and I also had exposure to some really heavy prescription medicines, you know?
1: Okay. Uh, talk about that. What kind of prescription medicines did you have exposure to at a young age and who exposed them to you? I think I know the answer, but where did that come from?
0: Yeah. Sorry. And I know we keep jumping into rabbit holes. It just always seems to happen with this story. Um, But yeah, growing up, um, our father always gave us triazolam, diazepam, um, and other things I really just identified by color. Um, but they, he would give it to us for like when we couldn't sleep, when we, um, were upset, we could just go in there and ask him for it. Or sometimes he would offer it. So it makes me wonder if it was, you know, at times being put in our food or, or what, because I mean, it's trauma can affect your memory, but the. The, I have so few memories that it makes me wonder, like, what else could have happened.
1: Does that concern you that uh, you had these um, the, 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 these drugs that were being administered to you uh, that affected your memory? Does it concern you if ever there was a time where you had to go on trial to testify that you wouldn't um, properly recollect something and that would be used against you? Um,
0: I mean, it's possible. And I apologize possible, if I but... just
1: put that in someone's ha- head right now. <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot, Lance. Um, (laughs) But the thing is, like, I don't recall anything that could be used in court anyway, let alone something that could have been, could have been, like, construed in a different way. Like, so the police have actually brought this up, right? Like, you know... They've encouraged media exposure, and then they said I was getting too much, you know, and saying that it could jeopardize me being a witness. And what I responded with was like, well, that's okay, because every other witness you have is better than me, because I I remember nothing, which is what I said when my father first got arrested. And it's what I say today, because it's true.
1: Okay, but the behaviors of your father should and and the— the evidence that he left behind whether it's circumstantial or not the videos and and uh, transcripts and all of that 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 sort sort of should speak uh, volumes beyond what you may or may not have remembered as a under the influence child i would hope
0: oh absolutely yeah don't take my testimony as a 10 11 12 year old or whatever like take right. these <laughs> thousands of hours of audio and phone transcripts that's that's where your information is.
2: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And um, at one point in the podcast, you mentioned that uh, that Michael, your your dad, had checked himself into a, uh, a mental hospital for a couple of months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was told. Um, this was before my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Um, but apparently it was just becoming too much for him and he absolutely just left her with all the kids for a few months to, to go to this mental rehabilitation facility. Um, I have not been able to find any information on it, which is fair. I mean, it's it's literally medical records, so it's very hard to access that, um, which I, I, I honestly respect. As yeah. much as I would love to learn more, I, I don't think I'll be ever, ever able to access those types of records.
1: You had mentioned earlier uh, something about the bombs, and I just want to remind the audience what, what you're talking about when you said uh... – When you're talking about bombs in relation to your father.
0: Well, at a certain point in time, the police actually start looking into Alyssa's case a few years after she goes missing. And after some events that happen, um, they really narrow their focus on our father. Um, Again, the only person of interest in this case. And um, at this point, I am the family contact person. So they call me and they say, Sarah, you know, we've got some news about Alyssa. Can you come down to the station? Say, absolutely. um, I'll be down there. So I, I hate this story so much. Um, so I go down there and they sit me down and they say, you know, we don't have any news about your sister, um, but your father has been sexually abusing her her whole life. We think that he killed her. You have another sister you don't know about. What do you think about your father now? Um, I am my father's child. I know my rights. I say, am I free to go? They let me go. I go back to the house. I gather some things and then the neighborhood's cordoned off. Um, And I go to my brother's house and I watch the news and I find out that they found the biggest pipe bomb and gun bust in Phoenix history. 26 pipe bombs and um, a whole lot of illegal guns.
1: Okay. And that's all linked back to your father.
0: Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, They were my father's guns and bombs. And they also found um, a manifesto of how he wanted to use those bombs. He was going to blow up um, the local union building, um, an electrical union that he used to be a part of.
1: He was employed at the electrical union, had a grievance against them, wrote a manifesto, which um, I can count probably uh, on one hand, The manifestos I've ever heard of and zero of them are ever uh, geared towards a motivational, like positive movement. So I'm assuming this manifesto had some negative uh, uh, tones to it. And then he uh, his plan was to shoot, shoot up the building, blow up the building, do both get arrested. Or was it a suicide mission?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different theories here. um, But what I feel is that, um, well, I mean, he planned basically to drive a van into like the front doors. Um, He had a brick next to the gas pedal. So he was going to set that up to, um, to drive through the doors and then supposedly shoot the back that was filled with propane tanks. Um, and then I believe somewhere in there were the bombs. Um, but he was also found with um, another identification and another social security card and disguises. So although his manifesto said that he was seeking revenge, that he was going to commit suicide in order to get media coverage for Alyssa, I fully believe that he was planning on running away. Um and you're probably wondering, right, like, uh, what is he getting revenge for Alyssa on? Well, he believes that, or at one point believed that the Union killed Alyssa, that two assassins were sent to kill her. And in turn, my father says that he had to kill those assassins.
2: For, from the Union assassins department.
1: Yeah. it's a, <laughs> Every Union's got an assassin can't, department. I, I feel uncomfortable talking about it.
0: Yeah. No, and it reads like some terrible bruce willis movie you know where he's like tell me where she is tell me what happened you know and they just they just uh give all the information and then he just has no choice but to kill them um you know and, and i asked him in 2017 about that and he says you know what assassins what story basically he doesn't tell that story anymore because he knows how ridiculous it
1: is but the claim is that he killed two people correct who, who had killed Alyssa?
0: Yeah, and I'm going to go into it on the podcast, but I found out all about the death of those two people and my father absolutely in fact did not kill them.
2: Oh, big surprise there.
0: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> big shock, big revelation.
2: Yeah. Now tell me about your uh your cousin David, um who I believe is Michael's nephew and uh there there was an account of the of a videotape that um that existed of of Michael um and and Alyssa and I think maybe even another person or two. Um, the, the last time I had heard about that, it wasn't from like the horse's mouth. It wasn't from David. So now now hearing that there is uh, an actual person behind who, who saw that, who remembers seeing that. What, what is that like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's insane. And when, to be honest, when I first spoke with David, like in setting up that call, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure why he'd said the story. I hadn't heard it from him before. I didn't know what to think. And I was really skeptical. And then when I spoke with him, like the remorse he felt was so real. Um, but he was living with us. It was 1999 and he lived with us for maybe under a year. Um, And he got home from work late one night. He got like Filiberto's Burrito, came home, popped in Dr. Doolittle into the VCR. Um, My father was notorious for recording things off of TV. So we had a ton of VHS tapes with, you know, handwritten labels. So he thinks he's watching Dr. Doolittle and um, he finds a nude video of Alyssa and um, another potentially underage girl. She was nude from the waist up, just kind of laying on the couch with a newspaper over her face.
2: Wow. Okay. Um so what did he do with that he didn't take the tape or anything obviously
0: So no and that's obviously one of his biggest regrets he says um he left the tape in the VCR and he immediately left our home he didn't grab much of his stuff he had to come back for it later but he immediately left and and started living somewhere else and he says when he came back uh, my father like couldn't look him in the eye Um, And they didn't really exchange words at all. And what I found out while researching for this podcast is that um, it's believed that there was another tape that existed. I spoke with my uncle James, who um, is a big part of this story as well. Um, And he told me, you know, when I told him I spoke with David, he said, well, what about the other tape? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, no, you know, there's another tape that was supposedly found of Alyssa being sexually abused by your father and an adult female.
2: Wow. A- any idea who that adult female
1: yeah. would be? Yeah. Sorry. It, took, it's, it's, it takes a little bit to wrap one's head around this.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I know I say it really casually. Um, but he, no, we don't. And I'm thinking of the timeline. No, because my father stopped dating after my father had one girlfriend. like after our mother died and Alyssa told that girlfriend she was having sex with her father and he never brought another female around the house. So I have no idea who that other woman would be.
1: And is this a product of hidden cameras or did the, did did it appear that they knew they were being filmed or was it just a static shot that could be a hidden camera?
0: So I asked that question. Um, It definitely was not behind a vent, Um, but we don't know. He says that it was um, he believes it was on a tripod because it was so still. But um, he couldn't tell if it was hidden. He didn't think so.
2: Yeah. And, and you, you ask about hidden cameras in vents that, and because that was a very common thing that he did.
0: Yeah. So that's what I found out, you know, a few years ago, I just thought it was the one hidden camera in the living room facing the couch. You know, the shots are on 2020. It's kind of everywhere. Um, but no, I started asking people and they're like, no, like she, there was cameras in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in her bedroom, there was recording devices in her bedroom. Like, Apparently just everywhere. And I had no idea, which I say that on the podcast. I'm like, apparently I was the only one who didn't know. Um, but I was just so oblivious.
1: Well, you were, you were super young too. And how would you even know about something that, uh, was never brought to your attention back then? You know, like you, you probably wouldn't assume that this was happening if no one brought it up. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would I? Yeah. Why would I even think about it at that point? Yeah. Like I was doing my best to literally like, you know, ignore my family like every other kid.
2: You know what it feels like to me is that um that be, because I know in the podcast you said that Alyssa spoke to a lot of people about it and you were maybe the only one who didn't know. She never confided in you about it. Maybe she was hopeful that your dad would change, which I mean, I think it was some kind of protective nature that took over. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was a mix of all sorts of feelings, you know, maybe he'll change. Um, maybe she knew that he wasn't doing it to me. Um, yeah. And maybe she just didn't want me to know and crush my dreams of my dad like she knew, right. she knew how close me and my father were like, he was my best friend. I didn't go to school three days a week. So I literally hung out with him all day every day because he didn't work either.
1: I'm sure some people are listening and they're thinking, uh, why isn't he in jail right now simply for the the pipe bombs and the manifesto uh, murder plot? How long did he did he spend in jail for that? And and how did he how did he get out? Did he get out on good behavior or did he just serve his term?
0: Yeah. um, So he got the maximum sentence of 10 years. I believe he served eight or nine. He didn't serve the full sentence, but a lot of it. Um, And I think he did get out on good behavior. But yeah, I mean, he is a free man as of uh, two years ago.
1: One thing that you had said to us uh, previously was that, and, and it reminded me right now when you said that uh, you and your father were, were uh, buddies, he would make, he would make his, um, I guess, his, his obsession over Alyssa into, into a game with you. And that was something that really stood out to me. Uh, can you talk about like how that was uh, presented to you? his possessiveness and and the spying.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the way it was presented to me was like, I thought Alyssa was this really bad kid. You know, I think she came home drunk once, um, but she did the, the whole come here. I need to tell you something. Don't ever drink. And like, so it freaked me out, even though it's nothing now, like every, every teenager drinks, don't do it. I don't recommend it, but I believe that it, it pretty much happens everywhere. I was led to believe that she was absolutely out of control. So between seeing her drunk and knowing that he found weed in her room once, I was like, wow, this, this is pretty accurate, right? Like as a kid, I'm like, that's pretty bad. Like I see this all the time on saved by the bell, like no (laughs) drinking, like this is a bad kid right here. And, um, so when I would want to do things, like I would go to my dad and say like, I'm so sad. Alyssa won't let me in her room. She's in there with whatever friend I want to see. Um, I remember he turned to me and he goes, oh, I got this new toy. It's called a bionic ear, which is like, a, I guess, kind of like a microphone, you could say. So I could put it underneath Alyssa's door with a headset and listen to what they were saying. Um, so that was one thing. And then eventually he did tell me about the camera in the living room vent. He showed me a video of Alyssa making out with a boy. Again, saying, like, look what she does when we're not watching. It, so, yeah, I mean, I think he absolutely included me on some of that.
1: What do you think that did for him to show you that and tell you those things?
0: Um, I mean, in his mind, I think it probably made him feel like it was more justified, like... It's not a secret. He's he's telling people. I'm actively a part of it. I know it's a family thing. We're all looking out for Alyssa. Um which is absolutely not the case.
2: Um are your siblings more open now? I was uh listening on the way in and and you were reading you were reading a, a phone call with you between your father and um your brother and uh are, are have you been talking to your your brothers about this?
0: Um no. So I I'm like still so nervous to hear the feedback from that. Um, so, that particular brother that I speak about in that transcript um, no I don't I don't speak with him I, I do speak to others um, one Alyssa's biological brother um, just started liking the Facebook page and he like made a comment on something and I literally burst into tears and text him and was like thank you so much like literally I love you like you you know don't feel the, the need to post or anything but just know that this like warms my heart so much um, and then another brother actually got involved in a police meeting so So I think that they're warming up to it. I still think that they don't like it. Um, You know, of course, no one's first choice is to air your whole family's dirty laundry. But I I feel like I don't have another choice. Um, So I'm very fortunate in that I do feel like they are warming up to it. I hope that they want to participate in the future.
1: Well, we've uh, said to you and and between us and I've I've said to other people uh, just how I can't really comprehend the determination and the courage it takes to do what you do because you've essentially alienated yourself from your family. Um, at least, you know, maybe, maybe things are starting to improve a little bit, but the risk you ran was saying, I'm going to have to, uh, be the voice for this on my own. And I mean, that's, that's, uh, I don't know anybody who, I don't, I don't know anybody who's done that.
2: Sarah, I am so sick of hearing Lance talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) He says this like every day in here. I do. Um, He's not but, kidding. But it is true. I mean, it's it's incredible.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I mean, Alyssa would do it for any one of us. Um, she was a fighter. So, uh, I mean, I see it as very black and white. Like, I don't have a choice. This is what I have to do to make you know, to get justice for Alyssa.
1: Now, once you have uh, achieved some, I guess, level of justice or level of satisfaction with what you're working on now with Alyssa, is this something that you plan to do uh, with other missing people and, and maybe other cold cases to uh, advocate for them or, or maybe talk to family members of missing people or, you know, suspected uh, uh, family members who have done something? Uh, would you ever consider doing that? Do you do it now?
0: Yeah, so um, to a certain extent, I I do kind of do it now, but um, yes, after I get the trial for Alyssa... I absolutely want to help other people. Um, and what I want to focus on are active cases in which we can get justice, um, meaning something that hasn't been tried or possibly a wrongful conviction. Um, I don't know what season two is going to look like just yet, but I am leaning towards another deep dive into a different case. Which case, I'm not sure just yet. But um, yeah, I mean, the plan is to keep going and keep helping people. And honestly, like specifically within the Phoenix Police Department, like I am going to laser focus on their cases like no other because I feel like they're. It's just absolutely insane the way that they operate. And I will not go away until there is major change within that department. Um, But that's always been the plan. And um, I do want to roll it into, like, honestly, a a nonprofit. I want to help people get the skills they need to fight cases like this on their own, which means social media skills, public speaking. You know, how do you get a private detective? How do you get a case review? Um, How to actually speak to the police in an effective manner? I want to help people get these tools to, to help themselves.
1: Well, I'm sure you're not going to be getting out of any parking tickets in Phoenix uh, anytime soon. How do they, <laughs> how do they view you? Because you, you said you want to laser focus on them in their cases. Uh, is, are they welcoming to you?
0: no they hate me um they honestly they hate me like the the way that they they speak to me is insane like to the point where the family advocates are like we've never heard an officer speak to a family member like that like because they work for different departments they can say things like this um but no they hate me and in fact there's another um case local to Arizona i'm friends with um this the sister and she's fighting for justice as well and she brought up my name in one of her meetings and they encouraged her not to listen to me. So it's working and I'm not going away.
1: That's incredible. And what can people do if they want to get involved with Alyssa's case or they want to help you with any nonprofit or or if they have a case of their own that they want to talk to you about? How do they get involved?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I have a website, voicesforjusticepodcast.com. If you want to submit a case or submit an email, Um, try to reach out to me through email. Um, Social is getting really clogged right now, but I'm absolutely open to hearing about your case and talking to you about it. And as far as helping, like... I've tried signatures, I've tried GoFundMes, I, I'm still trying to get some billboards, but honestly, like, it's it's sharing Alyssa's story. I wish that there was some magic bullet to make this happen, but the slow build of this media pressure is working. Um, so, we just need to keep on, keep it on with that.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You, you mentioned uh, signing petitions and... Uh... You know, there's not this magic bullet that's going to make it all go away, and we find that in everything that we've done, uh, there's there's a big misconception that a petition can go around and this uh, superhero organization will swoop in and answer all the questions. But you nailed it. You're utilizing social media. You're utilizing however you can make your voice be heard, and and it is gradual, and it is a it is a grind, but. But that does work, you know. We we've seen that with uh, with a lot of the cases, with even with Maureen Murray's case, uh, you know, the the buildup of all this media attention, and they went into a house and searched. Uh, you know, it's it's not a maybe it's not the only reason they did that, but it's one of the reasons they did that. And you have such an enormous following, you can get you can have thousands and thousands of people, you know, as the voice for for your sister.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what it takes. And I mean, yeah, the, the police don't don't look at those petitions and care too much. Unfortunately, I mean, they literally told me, um, we don't care if you get a million signatures. Like, it's, just, it's just the way that you think the justice system can, should work. Um, it is not that way at all. Like, um, but yeah, I think it just takes public pressure. Like you said, it, it worked in more Murray's case. I mean, look at making a murderer. It's just, unfortunately, like kind of the trend of justice right now.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And I just uh, popped over to your Twitter page and noticed that you liked eating chips with lemon juice. That's odd. What is that all about?
0: Well, and the hot sauce, Lance. You cannot forget the hot sauce. That is like the <laughs> biggest part. Um,
1: oh, I thought hot <laughs> sauce was just separate. So you eat potato chips with lemon juice and hot sauce.
0: Yeah. Like classic Lay's, you put a little bit of lemon juice on it and then you put like Cholula on top and it's the best snack ever. It's just, it's spicy and delicious and amazing.
1: Cholula. Cholula is my favorite hot sauce. Little, the little wood top. <laughs> yeah the chipotle one's great but anywho i i uh i fangirl over you so that's what i'm doing now well thank you so much i
0: fangirl over you when we (laughs) saw each other at crime con oh my goodness it was like the best (laughs) moment of my life
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh stop i'm blushing
0: oh goodness no offense tim i also love you very much i've seen you more though so i'm like gunning to see lance again
2: yes but that means that we have a stronger relationship because we've seen each other more Um, So thank you very much. uh... (laughs) Well, we're both wearing Justice for Alyssa shirts right now, so uh, no favoritism there. Um, And we will share a picture on social media. So if you're listening out there, pick up your Justice for Alyssa t-shirt or shirt and wear it proudly.
0: Oh, thank you, guys. You guys are seriously the best and my heroes. And thank you. I I can't even believe that I'm on Missing Maura Murray. It's literally the first podcast I ever listened to, like, this is a dream come true and I love you guys so much
2: full circle well thank you we love you too